darkness, darkness. I wonder what images or feelings that conjures in your mind. If you've read the Bible, you know it's all throughout Scripture. In fact, the Bible uses that metaphor of darkness a couple hundred times to describe what life is like without God. When we've shut him out of our lives, when we're not really open to walking with him, when we reject his direction, when we shut him out, we find ourselves honestly in a dark place. And today as we continue in our series, Jesus, the Radical Transformer, we're going to explore what that looks like to go from darkness to light. Today we're going to look at a story of a blind man, and it literally has all kinds of spiritual power parallels to our own salvation. But here's what we need to understand up front while we sit for a few moments in the darkness. That until we understand the extent of the darkness and that it is really a serious thing, we'll never appreciate really or recognize the awesomeness of the light. So here's what I believe about us. I, I think we've kind of gotten adjusted to some degree to the darkness. An amber alert comes on as we drive to work, but it's just another report. The news reports a, another murder in our area, but it doesn't move us. We just reach for another handful of chips as we lounge on the sofa. A coworker is arrested for domestic violence. A teenager commits suicide. A fatal car accident has backed up traffic on the throughway, but, but we're more disturbed by the fact that we're going to be late for dinner. You see, the darkness has really invaded us, and I guess that's a little easier to admit as we sit here for a few moments in the darkness. It's all around us, but it's, it's honestly in us. It's in me. It's in you, and that's what concerns me most. Did I really just say that to my spouse? <laughs> Did my mind really just think that thought, honestly? Did I really just allow my eyes to look at that image? Did I really just cheat on that test? Oh my, did last night really happen? Or <laughs> was that just a dream? You see, there's darkness within each of us. And can I tell you something? I, I'm afraid of the darkness, the darkness in me. If you're married, perhaps you've been there. You're lying in bed with your spouse and you've just had a fight. And oh, your pride is hurt. You feel unloved, disrespected. And so you turn your backs to each other and kind of yank the blankets so you get more than your fair share. And you're going to make them pay. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow, the silent treatment. Now, you could do differently. You could reach out and tenderly touch their back and tell your husband or your wife, I am sorry. I was wrong. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I know we'll work through this. But what do you choose? You choose darkness. 
or you're driving on I-87 and you're about to get off at your exit and you notice the traffic backed up. And then you notice a car that's trying to get into your lane and you happen to catch the fact that it's an out-of-state license plate. They probably don't understand how the roads work here and how the traffic patterns go. You could just smile and wave them in in front of you, but instead the darkness overtakes you. You get within two inches of the car in front of you, and then you're so miffed, you're so miffed when the kind person behind you lets them in. But when you get to the end of the exit ramp, you gun it and get in the left lane because you don't dare want them to get in front of you. We need to understand the darkness has always been there. It's always been inside of us. It was there when you lied to your parents about breaking that window. It was there when you slipped that candy bar into your pocket as your mother checked out at the grocery store. No parent has to teach a two-year-old to stick out their tongue, to be selfish, to say, no, it's mine, and to throw a temper tantrum. And the darkness is naturally progressive. In Luke 22, the Bible says this is the hour when darkness reigns. And when darkness reigns, believe me, believe me, friends, we are capable of unbelievable evil. Now, here's what is sad. Some of you are kind of lost in the dark today as we continue here for just a couple more moments in the darkness. Let's remind ourselves of that. Maybe you thought you could control it, but you find that the darkness has overwhelmed you, and you go from yelling at your kids to hitting them. You go from looking at a few pictures in a catalog to spending hours gawking at graphic images on the internet. You go from taking a few drinks with some friends to not being able to go a day without getting drunk. It takes you from stealing a few dollars to embezzling thousands from your company. It takes you into crippling credit card debt, into frantic relationships that are sideways. We're lost in the darkness. There's an old song by the group Casting Crowns that I think describes it well. The words say, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. And that's the way it is. The darkness slowly can overwhelm us. It's like a child who wakes up and finds themselves in the dark, alone, afraid, uncertain. There's a sense of panic. And our first response is to cry out to our Father. Jesus is God's answer to the darkness. Into this dark world, God brought a light, the light of his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who are just waking up, 
Welcome to church. You are in church, and we are so glad that you're here. And we are talking today about darkness to light. And thank you for sitting a few minutes in the dark. I know for some of you that may have been a bit weird or uncomfortable. But I hope you get the point. I hope you get the reason. You see, many of us are visual learners. We learn through experience. And the Bible says of Jesus that he declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Today in Luke's gospel, we come to chapter 18 to one of my favorite stories. There's a blind man here who receives his sight, but I want to remind you again, and we'll point some of these parallels out. There are all kinds of amazing parallels in this story to our own condition and the salvation that Jesus wants to bring. So let's dive in, Luke 18. I First of all, you want you to see this man's reality, his reality. Let me start with verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, we're in Luke's gospel, but if you went to Mark's gospel, you would see this man identified as Bartimaeus. Luke never uses that name, but that's what his name was. In Matthew's gospel, if you read that parallel account, you'll see that actually there were two men who received their sight that day. But Luke says that Jesus was coming into Jericho. He was approaching. Mark's gospel said he was leaving Jericho. So this is one of those places where cynics will often say, look, the Bible contradicts itself. Was he approaching or was he leaving the city of Jericho? How do you reconcile those accounts? Archaeologists have discovered that there are actually two Jerichos. The old ruined city that we read about early in the Old Testament and the new one built by Herod the Great. I think we see a similar thing in upstate New York, don't we? It's everywhere. You've got Gilderland Center, and then you've got Gilderland. You've got Clifton Park Center. We all know what that is. It's usually an older little hamlet. And then you've got Clifton Park. Big difference between the two. He easily could have been leaving the old Jericho and approaching the new one, or vice versa. But Regardless of precisely where he was, Bartimaeus' condition was absolutely tragic. Now, we have a few blind people who, who literally cannot see in our congregation. Every one of them that I know is happy, well-adjusted, gets along amazingly in life. It's amazing to me how they function very productively and with happy lives, even without the gift of sight. Boy, I respect these individuals. But imagine what it would be like to be blind in the first century. No trained service dogs, no braille to read, no audio books, not much technology, honestly, certainly no smartphones or computers. I mean, just the act of crossing a busy thoroughfare would be like taking your life into your own hands. And here's what's even worse. 
You, usually, with, with most people I know today, there's a good deal of empathy for those with disabilities, whatever they are. But in the first century, it was kind of cruel, actually. People had this theology that if you've got a disability like that, it must be because you deserve it. You did something really bad, and that's why you're that way. And I remind you, there was no government assistance. So, unless you had a wonderful, loving family that helped you, you were kind of left to do what this guy was doing. To stand on a busy street somewhere and beg for a handout. It's the only way you could make it. (laughs) Now, let me pause there, as I promised I would, because there are so many parallels to our salvation here. And I just want to point out one of them right now. This story is an incredible analogy for spiritual life because the Bible says we're all spiritually blind. You are, I am, until Christ gives us light. Consider one of the places where it says that, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Consider these verses. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are unbelieving, in whose case the God of this world has blinded, catch this phrase, blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Think about that. Satan, it says, has blinded people, the minds of the unbelieving. That's why sometimes we can be so blind and naive to the realities around us. Hey, dude, she loves you, man, but you don't even see it. Wow, this guy is cheating on you. Why can you not catch the signs here? Wow, this child is drifting into some pretty deep rebellion, and you seem, you seem to be oblivious to all that's going on here. I read about a college girl who brought her boyfriend home for her parents to meet for the first time. And she just really was taken by this guy. And uh, she brought him home uh, to her parents, and he happened to have orange spiked hair and a lot of body art, piercings, tattoos all over. And the concerned mother just took the daughter aside and said, honey, is he nice? And she said, mom, of course he's nice. If he wasn't nice, why would he be doing 500 hours of community service? Paul writes, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. So scripture says, look, it's like, it's like we're in this oblivious spiritual stupor without the light, and we can't see the truth right when it's in front of us. Have you ever noticed that with people? It's like, wow, how can they miss this? How can they not see this? John 1 says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Someone reads the Bible, but it just goes completely over their head. Or they hear crystal clear sermons, but nothing computes. And not only do they not understand, but spiritually blind people don't seem to even care a lot. They're not even willing to investigate. It's just kind of ho-hum. If you share the gospel that one day we're all going to stand before a holy God and give an account for our life, 
that just doesn't move a spiritually blind person. Why? Because they're dead to the things of God. Here's again the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 2. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And then he says, they cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Friends, that's the reality. We need to understand that for everyone until God removes that blindness and brings the light. And by the way, that's one of the greatest things you can do for your loved ones, for your friends, your coworkers, your family who do not know Christ yet. Be praying against that blindness. That literally God would work and remove those things that are blinding that person to the truth. Otherwise, they may go on indefinitely oblivious to the danger they're in and to the amazing grace that God is offering. Well, secondly, we've looked at his reality. I want you to now consider his request, the request that Bartimaeus made. Verse 36. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, this was a short time before the Passover. And Bartimaeus probably sensed that there was increased activity, increased movement, uh, more people than usual on the road these days. Now, he had heard about Jesus, this itinerant preacher and healer, and perhaps he had even wondered, oh, wow, I wish I could meet him. Maybe, just maybe, he could do something for me. But he probably said, ah, I'd never be that lucky anyway. Things like that just don't happen to a person like me. But deep in his heart, deep in Bartimaeus' heart, God was stirring faith. There was this flicker of hope that maybe Jesus could rescue him from this horrible reality he was living. And with that flicker of faith, he acted on the faith he had. And he cried out in verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And oh, these words are so pregnant with meaning. In fact, that phrase, son of David, is an Old Testament phrase that is used for the anointed one of God. In other words, the Messiah that is going to come. He will be called son of David. Bartimaeus is saying, I have faith in you, Jesus. You, who you are and what you came to do. So faith was stirring inside of him. But another thing I notice about his cry to Jesus is that it demonstrates to me that he knew he did not deserve anything from God. You remember the rich young ruler we talked about last week? Pompous, proud, thinking he deserved it because he had kept all these commands of God? Unlike him, this man knows that he's asking for something he doesn't deserve because he's a sinner. And he's being utterly sincere here about it. Occasionally, we see people on the roads with signs. We see them around. It seems to accelerate at certain times of the year. And people have signs like, uh, we'll work for food, right? Pretty common sign. Children at home to feed. 
out of work, you know, please help, all kinds of different signs. And, and uh, I hope you'll be gracious and kind to people. But occasionally, maybe I'm not the only, do you ever doubt occasionally the sincerity of people holding the signs? I wonder if maybe, maybe they're just kind of being insincere with their message. A friend and I uh, were going to a basketball tournament, there's a couple of games at a big arena in Indianapolis a couple of years ago, and I'll never forget, there was a guy sitting outside the big basketball arena with a sign, honestly, it's for beer, okay? And I appreciated his honesty, all right? You just sense, okay, here's a guy with integrity. I love the honesty of that. Bartimaeus has integrity. He didn't claim to deserve anything. He's pleading for mercy. Now again, let me point out a parallel to our own salvation. I hope you're listening right now. God doesn't save people who think they deserve it. God doesn't save people whose mindset is, yeah, of course, I'm deserving of this. He only saves those who understand the enormity, the severity of our sin and are broken and crushed over it. We have nothing to offer God, so we cry out for mercy and grace. Several weeks ago, we studied that passage in Luke's gospel where two men went into the temple. You remember that story? One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Oh, how different they were. But they were all also different in their attitude, honestly. The Pharisee prayed to God, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm so good. I fast twice a week. I tithe. I'm not a sinner like this tax collector over here. He thought he had it all together. On the other hand, the tax collector wouldn't even so much as look up to heaven. Scripture says he beat on his breast a sign of contrition and brokenness and anguish over sin. He beat on his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know what Jesus said about that story? He said, guess what? Little, little lesson here. Which of those two do you think went home from the temple justified? In other words, right in the eyes of God. Not the Pharisee. The tax collector. Why? Because he understood he didn't deserve it. And scripture says that the proud are going to be humbled, but the humble are going to be exalted. God will not be conned by some claim of good works. Well, after all, God, I'm really a good person, you know. You're blowing smoke in God's face, honestly, when you cop that attitude. We must come to him admitting, look, I'm deeply flawed by sin and my own choices. And we call on God's mercy and forgiveness. By the way, the greatest moment in your life, if you're on a journey right now trying to find what this relationship with God is all about, maybe you've got some friends who've been telling you about it. Listen, the greatest moment in your life and mine is when we come to that point of realizing I have nothing to commend myself to God. 
I must, I must just call on his absolute mercy to save me because there's nothing within myself deserving of his salvation. That is a great moment when we come to that. But now there's something in the story here that really is honestly kind of a head scratcher. It, it's astounding, and yet it also parallels our real life today. Some people tried to keep Bartimaeus from Jesus. Let's look at verse 39. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They're scolding this guy. And he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And if you begin to come into the light of Christ, I just want to tell you, you'll have some people who will probably discourage you from that. and say, oh, I like you better the way you are now. I'm afraid you're going to become a religious nutcase or something. I'm afraid you're going to overdo this, become a fanatic. Listen, be careful. But Bartimaeus was not going to be deterred. He was determined to meet Jesus. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then in verse 40, Jesus honored his humble request and his perseverance. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, I love the way Jesus asked questions, by the way. My wife Debbie recently did a study through the Gospels and she filled page after page as she wrote down all the questions that Jesus asked people. Boy, you talk about an intriguing exercise. Jesus was an expert at asking questions. I love this question. What do you want me to do for you, Lord? I want to see, he replied. Ken Geyer wrote, Jesus knew what those four short words meant. I want to see. I want out of the dungeon of this darkness. I want to get off the roadside. <laughs> I want to walk the streets of Jericho without running into its walls. I want to look in the shops. I want to find my way to the synagogue. I want to use my hands for something besides feeling my way in the dark. I want to fix my own meals. I want to wave at somebody across the street. I want to read. I want to smile at children and pat their heads and wish them well. Lord, Lord. I want to see. And Jesus, in his love and compassion, was moved by this request. I want you to know, friend, if God is moving you and drawing you toward him, I don't know what your concept of God is, but I just want to say this to you. God is not some tyrant, some ogre, some harsh taskmaster that when you come to him humbly, like Bartimaeus is doing, that he is going to cast you out. Scripture says, the one who comes to me, God speaking, I will in no wise cast out. He will show his love, his compassion, his mercy to you, no matter what you've done. We've seen his reality, his request. I want to spend just a few moments now on what we'll call his, his renovation. Did you know that Jesus is a master renovator of souls? Did you know that? Wow. He could take you just as you are. 
He can assess your soul situation. He can diagnose what is ailing you and all the sins, the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups, and he can renovate your soul. There's all kinds of people around you that are on that journey of renovation. Jesus is changing us from the inside out, and I want that for you more than anything in this world, that Jesus would renovate your soul too. So let's read on for a bit. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. The most popular Christian song of all time, I'll bet you know it, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. Most popular Christian song of all time. And the lyrics go, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind. But now I see. Now imagine what that meant for Bartimaeus. There is strong tradition, not in the Bible, but strong tradition throughout church history that Bartimaeus went on from this moment of healing and was actively engaged later in the church. The belief is that he was engaged in the church at Jerusalem as one of its active participants who extolled the grace of God for the rest of his life. And right after this, he was about to witness some amazing things. Think about it. His life went from this mundane existence to utter joy. In the next few days, he was about to witness and experience the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the cleansing of the temple, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. He was also about to witness the sobering sight of Jesus' crucifixion and later the resurrection. His life changed from banality to utter joy. And the Greek word used here is so interesting. It's translated different ways. Some translators say, your faith has healed you. Some say, your faith has saved you. Because the word can mean either. And I happen to believe that Bartimaeus received a double blessing here. The Greek word sozo can sometimes be translated healed or sometimes saved. It's the same word. I believe he was not only physically healed, I believe he was spiritually saved. He received his sight. He went from darkness to light. Have you got a story like that? Oh, I've never been physically blind. But I got to tell you, I've got a darkness to light story. I grew up on a cotton farm in Tennessee where my life was just so banal, mundane, dull. I had no hope for the future. And I I tell you the truth, even at the young age of 13, in the first months of being 13 years old, I was already wondering, is this all there is to life? And then Jesus invaded. I went from spiritual darkness to spiritual light, and God has given me such a privileged, wonderful life. I've been able to declare his gospel all around the world, honestly. What a privilege. I've been able to preach in prisons and open-air meetings and 
amphitheaters and schools all through the Philippines. I've been able to preach this gospel in war-torn countries like Croatia and Bosnia and Herzegovina. I've been able to preach all over the UK and Europe this gospel of grace of Jesus just because he's given me the grace and the privilege to do that. I've been able to preach this gospel even in faraway countries like California and Alabama. Yeah, it's amazing. I've been a part of two international conferences, Amsterdam in 1986 and Amsterdam 2000, where I literally, literally met evangelists from over 200 countries around the world. What a privilege. I love all of those wonderful things God has allowed me to do out there, but here's where I'm going with this. My favorite moments are none of that. My favorite moments are moments like right now. When we at Grace Fellowship get to come together, this is where my heart is. This is where I love the fact that God has called Debbie and me to spend our lives here. What a privilege to know brothers and sisters like you. God is so good. I don't know what your story is, but if you're in darkness today, God wants to take you into the light, and he wants to use you to be a light to others. Verse 43 reads, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. When you come to him and into the light, he'll not only renovate your soul, but he'll kind of make you a beacon of light, if you'll let him, a beacon of light to those around you. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before men and women that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, let me, let me hit you with a little challenge here as we wrap this sermon up. I wonder what God could do through people like us if we just kind of made a goal and made it our task between now and Christmas to say, God, how can you shine your light through me? Boy, I tell you, in a few days, the leaves are going to be falling like crazy. Would you agree? They're going to be falling like crazy. They're still hanging on right now, but it's about to hit. And maybe there's an elderly person near you where you could just kind of go over and say, you know, can we rake your leaves? Don't want anything in return. Just want to help. Can we help rake your leaves here and bag them for you? Maybe you could take uh, some cookies to someone who's really been struggling. Just write a little note of encouragement to them. Maybe you could go to the teacher of your child in the school there because teachers don't get nearly enough encouragement, trust me on this, and ask what could I do to encourage you or help you in some practical way? Or maybe you could ask, hey, are there any students that you're aware of, if this would be appropriate or allowable at all, are there any students that just need maybe some additional supplies for school or maybe some additional clothing or a coat or something as the cold weather is coming on? We would be glad to provide that and just take that initiative to shine the light a little bit. Maybe you could get involved with one of our Grace in Action partners. we got 15 of them around who are doing great work and just say, you know what, I'm just going to beef up my involvement in these days. Maybe you could spend some time 
with someone who's really been depressed. And don't be another dark cloud in their already cloudy world, but shine some light in. Let some sunshine come through you and your personality and lift their spirits. What would, could we intentionally do between now and Christmas to let the light shine through us? Now, here's what I know. In any group like this, as large as this gathered together, I know there's some people who are feeling, feeling the darkness so strongly you're honestly feeling hopeless. I know that for a fact. I just want to say to you, with Jesus Christ, it is never hopeless. In fact, do you know what the first words are recorded in Scripture that God spoke? Do you know what those are? You, you go back to Genesis, you read. The first words that are recorded that God actually spoke are these words. He said, let there be light. And the very next phrase says, and there was light. And when God comes into your situation, no matter how dark you feel that it is, he can speak light into that situation and bring you hope where there is no hope. Oh, I want that for you. I urge you, after this service, to seek out some of the wonderful men and women that are just there to pray with you over in the prayer area, at the altar area, wherever they're gathering in your particular campus and seek them out and say, could you just spend a moment praying with me? Because I've really been grappling with just with some, some dark things, honestly, in my life. And I just want prayer. They would love to have the privilege of praying with you for a moment. Father, thank you that your light can pierce any darkness. You can bring hope to the hopeless. You can bring sight to the blind. You can bring salvation to the lost. You can turn around families. You can give direction to lives that are directionless and spinning out of control. You can change the whole game. And I pray for those today that desperately are feeling the darkness encroaching. Oh, God, would you shine the light? Shine the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.